Hi friends, and welcome to the Robcast. This is Robcast number 60. Can you believe it? 60 Robcasts this year. Now, uh, all sorts of things going on. This episode is an interview I did with Alexander Shia about the Christmas story and how the first century first audience of the gospel Christmas story would have heard the story. And um, when you hear it, just, and if you've heard the other interviews I've done with Alexander, just, I don't even know what to say. It's just so profound. And the insights there, um, I think for many of you, it'll be like a whole new way to see um, and understand the Christmas story. So I'm going to roll that interview in a minute. Um, but first, a couple things going on. Uh, I assume a lot of you will be traveling here and there over the holidays. So we're going to unload a bunch of interviews. I've got a whole bucket of interviews. We're going to put a bunch of them out in the next uh, week or two. And then uh, there are more interviews coming. I have all these interviews lined up for the new year that <laughs> it's unbelievable who we're going to get to talk to. Just unbelievable. There's a lot of interesting people in the world, which you probably already knew. So um, all sorts of interesting interviews coming. And then this podcast will release on a Monday, the Monday before Christmas. And uh, Monday night, I'm doing uh, my show at Largo, which is a club here in LA. And I'm going to do a show called A Revolutionary Christmas. Um, again, I want to give you a completely new way to think about Christmas. Now, a lot of you don't live in Los Angeles, obviously, and you've been like, well, that's really nice you're doing that, but so here's what we're going to do. We're going to we're gonna record it. I assume we'll get a good recording of it. And then as soon as we can on Tuesday, our goal is to put the live recording of the Largo show up on my website, robbell.com, for like a $5 download. And then what I want to do is give all of that money to Charity Water. All the tickets from the Largo show um, we're giving to Charity Water to drill wells so people can get water who need it because water changes everything. But then a bunch of you are like, yeah, but we don't live there, so we want to still hear the show. So we're going to do our best to make an audio download available, and then you can um, chip in five bucks so that we can all, um, hopefully we'll get at least a well, maybe two, for villages that need it. So um, that's what we do. How great is that? So look for it sometime, hopefully on Tuesday. Our goal is to get a recording up that you can download because I so want you to hear this thing. I've been working on it all fall and, um, oh my word, good times. And then, and this next thing blows my mind. I have this friend named Glennon. You may have heard of her. Um, she is Momastery. And she lives in Florida, and she's just unbelievable. And she and Liz Gilbert, who you know, Liz Gilbert, Elizabeth Gilbert, author of Big Magic, Signature of All Things, and a book called Eat, Pray, Love. Elizabeth has been on the Robcast a couple of times, beloved sister of mine. And Glennon is my other sister with her. And so those two got talking, and we're, and we're trying to think of what could we do for the refugee crisis, and then they talked to me, and then they talked to our friend Brene Brown, and then they talked to Cheryl Strayed, author of Wild and the just unbelievable Cheryl Strayed, and we're like, what if we got all of our friends and told all the people we know, and we were to do like a flash mob giving thing? So here's how it's going to work. Tomorrow, which you're going to be listening to this on Monday, we're all going to post, um, we're called the Compassion Collective, compassioncollective.org, and you can go there 
And we're thinking that if everybody gives a gift, five bucks, 10 bucks, 25 bucks, our goal is to raise a million dollars in a day for refugees. And we're hoping that if we get all of our friends to chip in, we could seriously help a massive number of people in one day. And all the money goes straight to help refugees, and it's all on the up and up, and they have done this thing so well from top to bottom, thecompassioncollective.org. So uh, get ready, a little flash mob generosity happening on the day that this podcast is released. And I'm so honored to be a part of it. Um, Me and this collection of unbelievable women um, trying to just, uh, you know, make some noise for good in the world. So, once again, so much going on, uh, and now let's talk to Alexander, and I'm so thrilled that you get to hear what he has to say, because I'm still thinking about it and reflecting on it. Merry Christmas and grace and peace, my friends. Here is the one and only Alexander Shia. And away we go. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another Robcast, and I have with me today in the back house, Alexander Shia. Alexander, so good to have you with us. It is so good to be here. Again. Yeah, yes. Now, let's let's make a Christmas podcast. Okay. And uh, I think one of the things that you do for so many of us is you give us this background on these stories, that even if you aren't familiar with the Bible, people still have cultural sort of awareness of some of these stories, especially this time of year. Yeah. There's only two places in the Bible that give what is traditionally known as the Christmas story. Um, so tell us about this. I know you and I talked about the book of Luke and what's going on there, which is one of the two sources of the Christmas story. Um, let's start there. Tell us about the Luke Christmas story. Well, let's start by talking about Luke and where what we think think Luke, uh, who's the people that Luke is writing for? So we think this text is coming in the mid-80s of the first century. Uh, Historically, what's happened is that uh, Judaism uh, has almost fractured after the destruction of the temple and the massacre of the priesthood. And um, the Pharisees have risen to the level of organizers. And we have to remember that the Pharisees are the gold of Judaism. Uh, They're the good guys, and they have a very bad hair day. And their bad hair day is locked into our scripture. (laughs) Yes, Pharisees are always seen as like the evil counterparts to Jesus. But in fact, fact, there's a long, beautiful, rich tradition. The bridge from the the corrupt cultic priesthood in Jerusalem... And a hundred years later, they birthed the rabbinic tradition of spiritual practice. Yes. And they organize and hold Judaism through this transition. So, Jesus' story takes you up to about the year 30. Now we're talking the book of Luke starts circulating 50 years after that. But in that 50-year period, the city of Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple is destroyed. Everything about the religion of Jesus' world is obliterated. What is it? Titus in 72 comes into the temple area. The Romans absolutely grind the city into fine dust, some historians have said. Okay, so think about... And we don't 
think enough about the fact that, that Jews didn't go back into the great city for decades. It was a ghost town up on the, on the holy mountain. And if the center of your religion is a temple where you believe your God resides, and everybody knows that's where God is, and then that temple is ground up into fine little pieces of dust by the greatest global military superpower the world has ever seen. Absolutely. Massive, profound disorientation. Right. Is there even and, and a God? Are we all alone? Does suffering win? Is evil in charge? Is this the apocalypse? Yes. Yes. Is there anything to live for? This must be the end of the world. Yeah. We literally are in a basket going to hell. Got it. So what Luke does is Luke is the text that people look to that situates the history of Jesus. But my suggestion is that he's not giving us history alone. So when Luke tells us who's emperor and who's governor and who is the, <laughs> the priest in the temple, what he's saying is, here's the wall of shame. People at this moment in time can't look to the government and they can't look to religion for help. Everything in that outer structure is corrupt. The priests in the temple are stooges of the emperor and they are living for themselves and they're getting incredible taxes from the Jewish people to gild um, Herod's temple. So what Luke's context is, is these are terrible, terrible, terrible days. And the people whose divine responsibility it is to stand up for the poor and oppressed, to maintain justice and righteousness, are actually exploiting the poor and the oppressed for greater profit. Like yes. everything is completely upside down. Yes. Got it. Yes. So Luke is going to, to give a message which is more than hope. Luke is going to talk about a reality, even though people will say there's no outer evidence of such a reality. But Luke is going to claim that this moment is not the worst moment leading to the end, but he's going to claim that this is a very, very painful moment that is actually the turnaround. And now you're talking about all of us. Well, yeah. <laughs> Like anybody needed I'm, that connection. Yeah. Well, I mean, we don't need to talk about the news of the past week or this moment or the Paris climate talks or, 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 or. Um, the, Luke is talking about whenever you think you are up against it and there is no turnaround in sight, keep going. Keep believing, keep going. Mm. So... Here, here's how Luke opens. He opens by giving us two visitations of Gabriel. Uh, Gabriel comes to Zechariah. Gabriel comes to Mary. Why does he do an angel? Um, well, he does Gabriel, which, and it's interesting that Luke is the only text that names the angel. And Luke is the most Jewish of all the texts. And in some ways he's saying that as we must go forward, we don't have to turn our backs on our tradition. And um. Gabriel is the angel of perseverance, endurance and perseverance. Wow. And that in, in sort of Jewish thought. Yeah. 
Yeah. There are four angels that are around every person, and Gabriel is the angel of endurance and perseverance. What are the other four while we're at it? Oh, God, you had to, you had to answer. <laughs> okay. Okay, so you've got uh, Raphael, um, Michael, and um, uh, um, Uriel. Uriel is the light bearer who goes before you, but Christianity dropped that one out. Why? I assume that we did it because we want the Christ to be the light bearer. Oh, okay. Um, so Gabriel, the angel of endurance and perseverance, comes to these two individuals with almost the same message. And Zechariah apparently gets his hand slapped, and Mary apparently gets, oh, you you have great favor. And why? What's the difference in the two responses? So when the angel comes, <laughs> when the angel comes to Zechariah, um, Zechariah begins to question the angel, and you can sort of see in his response kind of the, the Western wheels were moving in his mind. Oh, my son is going to be part of the Savior of Israel. Uh, which school do I have to enroll him in? Uh, what rabbinical tra- what? pure law tradition do I need to, to raise him in? Uh, it, I have to figure all of this out to make sure the promise comes due. He gets silenced. Mary does something quite different. Mary takes Gabriel's words to her heart and she ponders them. And as we will soon see that Mary says, basically, your will be done. And essentially, as you follow the rest of the story in in this chapter, you'll understand that Mary has this utter belief, I, I would even say knowing of the promise. She knows the promise. So she doesn't have to do any mental yada, yada, yada. Uh, her response is, okay, Uh, Tell me what my part in this is and give me the strength to do it. I don't have to win any battles. I don't have to convert any government officials. Uh, I just have to do the spiritual practice that you've given me to do. And if this is true, it will happen. And it won't happen because I figured it all out. So we've we've got these right at the beginning of the text, um, this text which is written to a people who are deeply hurt because their mother tradition has turned their back on them. Our Jewish tradition Mm -hmm. has said, if you're Jewish, you must leave synagogue. You must leave Jewish life. And what this means in those days is that a mother and a father will have a funeral and sit Shiva for their son or daughter and will never speak to them again. And we know this all too well even today in some areas of the Middle East, that there is this old, old, old stricture about if you go against your parents, uh, you are removed from the family's heart and life. So Christians are, are bearing this enormous burden of pain, probably resentment and bitterness, that their 2,000-year-old tradition has turned their back on them when they weren't seeking to develop a new religion. They were seeking to reform the tradition that they knew so well. 
Okay. So a number of Luke's audience, because of their Jesus following, have been disowned by their family of origin. Exactly. And if I, if I just skip ahead a little bit, if you look at the fourth chapter of Luke, you'll find in that text the story of Jesus going home and preaching in the synagogue. And what happens? He preaches this incredible good news and the people turn on him and they run him out of the town. They're in a rage and they, they run him take out of him the town. Take him to the brow of a hill. And they're going to throw him off. Mm-hmm. The old um, Middle Eastern custom of we ritually kill you. You have offended us and we ritually kill you. And you can imagine that this is what's happening to the Christ believers. <laughs> Same thing. So the early audience of Luke would have read the story about Jesus' first sermon. By the way, whenever I'm talking to people who are starting out and preaching, and I'm like, hey, by the way, after your first sermon, did they try to kill you? Yeah. No. Oh, okay. So you're like, <laughs> you're, a, you're a step ahead of Jesus. Um, because Jesus' first sermon, the whole time wants to kill him. And the early audience would have read that story and known exactly what that was like. Yes. Yes. Got the, the second wound here is not only has the mother tradition turned her back on us, but now the emperor goes, oh no, we've got this new zealous religious group and the Jews no longer claim them. And the emperor is so concerned about anything that's passionate and creative and vital and alive because the emperor wants everybody gray and controlled. So the emperor begins to set uh, laws against us. And not only do those, when the laws don't work, then he begins to set up executions. So when he realizes that he can't control us, then he just says, well, we'll just off with them. They're, They're disorganized and few and they don't have much money and they don't have any leverages of power. We'll just get rid of them. Um, but we know that truth always wins out. And love always wins there out. There you go. So the story then, Zechariah is silenced. Mary, and there's, I'm trying to think what scholar translates Mary as basically saying, I'm going to have this baby, let's do this. Yeah. Like this is very sort of vital, robust. Really? That's what's going to happen? Okay, let's get it on. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah. But she doesn't ask for any assurances or any sense of, you know, tell me all the mechanisms of how this is going to happen. It's like... Ah, uh, Zachariah wants <coughs> details. Okay, yeah. that's going to happen. Give me, give me the plan. Give me the details. Give me the logistics. Give me, Mary, the, re- give me the resources. Mary just hears it in her heart and goes with a larger sort of divine flow. Yeah. Whew, man, that preaches. Yeah. So now what happens? Well, and... We're setting it in those days, and we're setting it in these days. Mm-hmm. In, in these days when many people don't believe a turnaround is possible. Mm-hmm. Don't believe the promise is a reality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which voice is large in your heart today, Zechariah or Mary? Mm. So then the story moves, moves on. 
Mary goes to visit her cousin, Elizabeth. Well, there, so much information is in that line about Mary goes to visit her cousin, Elizabeth. Uh, Elizabeth is of the priestly class. Uh, Mary is not the fair maiden. Mary is Jewish royalty. She has given up all of her sense of Jewish privilege by, by her saying yes to God. She's now going to be the scarlet woman who had everything, and as far as the Jewish people are concerned, would have, in those days, would have, she would have thrown it away. Why is that? I don't understand. Because Mary is also of the priestly class. Now, what's that mean? It means that um, both Mary and Joseph are, are held to a higher standard because of their family line. And they have everything to live for. Because they're from the line of King David. Because they're from the line of King David and they're from the line of the priests. But they have a higher obligation not to step out of line. And so when Mary says yes, Mary, the not fully married woman bearing a child, says yes to God, she totally leaves aside her societal sense of privilege. She lays it all on the line because she believes this promise. And she goes to her cousin and they stay sheltered for three months together. But there is this incredible, I think of it as one of the most incredible, if not the most incredible prayer texts in the gospel. And it's Mary's canticle or Mary's song. And here's what's so unusual about that song. It's Mary is saying this in the really, really depths of days that are painful, chaotic, where scarcity rules. And what does Mary pray? She doesn't pray for God to act. She gives praise for the fact that God acts. She claims the promise. And because she claims the promise, she can go back to Gabriel, endurance and perseverance. What allows the endurance and the perseverance? What allows the quietude of heart? She doesn't believe. She doesn't angst. She knows. She doesn't know how, and she doesn't know when, but she knows. And because she knows, everything else that's going to happen, she can move through with great sense of equanimity. And this is the practice that Luke is holding up before the early Christian communities as we find ourselves now illegals before the emperor and cast out by our mother tradition, that he wants us to have Mary's sense of knowing, mm. this deep sense of the promise is real. Mm -hmm. And I trust it. And so she does then, and then what comes after that? Because she says this, she demonstrates this, then what happens? Well, then the story moves, she goes home. Um, and <laughs> next we have um, their journey from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. 
Uh, yeah. <coughs> Here again is, is another. Want some tea? I'll yeah. take some hot tea. Thank you. Tea break. <laughs> Here again is another image of the being cast out, the divesting oneself of privilege. Here she is as the daughter of priests and her husband is part of the family of David and they have to do this lonely, lowly journey from Nazareth back to Bethlehem. And rather than their family in Bethlehem receiving them, they have to go and look for a place to have their child. And again, it's this, on, in, in the Lucan text, do not equate privilege with God's promise. God's promise is true, but it may not necessarily mean that you're going, you're going to have all the perks of your culture at this moment. And the first century audience of Luke's account would have picked up on this right away. Certainly. The loss of privilege, the loss of comfort, the loss because they of... were they were living it, they had they had lost mother and father, brother and sister because of following the Christ, and so and they had they they now were you know the the emperor was setting all sorts of laws against us, and you can't live in the good neighborhoods, and your kids can't go to this school, and all all the things that we think we want or need, and they're saying and and we are and we're doing this for the promise, what promise? And so Luke telling a story about Mary leaving behind privilege, esteem, favor to be true to this new birth that is happening in her is the story of the f- people who would have heard the story for the first time. Absolutely. Come because, on! Because they Man. too know that they bear the Christ. Not just that Mary bore Jesus, but they are the bearers of the Christ. They too are pregnant with the Christ. And they too must engage in the same simple spiritual practices so that this birth will come full term and and flower. And so you have these probably teenagers, pregnant, displaced, on the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Yes. None of the family in Bethlehem will welcome them because she's pregnant and suspicious. Right. So there's scandal. No one wants to be a part of this. They end up finding a place to stay. Right. Baby's born. Baby's born. In the lowest of low places. A a place where the animals are. Unclean? Probably. Which then means for the priestly class, that's a big deal. That's a big, that's a huge deal. Because priestly class, which she would have been from, everything was about ceremonial cleanliness. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So being with animals, let alone a human being being birthed in an unclean situation, would have just shattered all of the val- core values of priestly right. thinking. And again, think about Mary's unshakable knowing. You know, she knows the promise. So no matter every every obstacle that comes, it nothing seems to shake her sense of knowing the promise. Amazing. 
Why does Luke not tell us much about Joseph? Um, Matthew focuses on Joseph right. because Joseph's Joseph is so the David line beautiful about the first path of facing change. Got it. Um, Luke is about the path of serving the birth of the Christ. And Mary is the appropriate meditation here. We are all, in, in Luke, we are all pregnant with the Christ. We're all Mary. And this, and this, is, a, this is a wow um, that, that those who have lost their social standing are now being named as bearers of the Christ, mothers of the Christ. So it gives great comfort and a surety for the promise. Now, what would they have understood in the first century about carrying the Christ and giving birth to the Christ? As a, so we have first century Jewish rabbi Jesus, but then we have the Christ. Right. What would they have understood about that distinction? Well, or Jesus you're, the Christ. You're, you're, that's a holy cow! Am I opening up a big can right there? Well, you are, and <laughs> I mean, you're opening up all of, all the power of Paul's preaching. Yeah, and this is why I think Paul. I think all four Gospels are the gift of Paul, because Paul changed the text from a recitation of what happened in Jesus's life to the ever moment present day Christ. So this, so the text is not about those days, but they're about right now. Got it. The 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 thing that is happening right now in us, between us, and around us. Yes. The Christ consciousness, moving everything forward. Yes. Waking us all to our connection with each other. Yes. Showing us the divine presence in all of life, especially in the least of these. Yes. Whew. Yes. There. We could have gone. Well, yeah. (laughs) So the baby's born. What is the significance of the manger other than it's just it's a detail about an animal, a place where animals are? A manger would have been made of stone. Is that correct? Uh, Stone or wood. Yeah. Um, But if your church is doing a play, it needs to be made of wood because you need to clear it for the final scene. Yes. So, um, um. And, and, then angel, and then the angels or shepherds are nearby. Yes. And the angel comes to the shepherds. And uh, it's interesting that the text doesn't, in this instance, does not name who the angel is. And if you read the text very carefully, it's one angel who gives the announcement and then is joined by a host of angels and a jubileo. So uh, the, the image of the shepherd at the end of the first century, here again, we have a people dispossessed, a people who have lost privilege. Uh, shepherds have been removed from polite society because they have gone against the strictures of, of tribe. They've offended. Uh, they may be rapists and pedophiles, they may be thieves and brigands, 
but in whatever way they have so offended the tribe that they have been made to go out and to work with, sh with the sheep in the fields. Sheep are unclean. And so the shepherds become unclean. And the shepherds take on the smell of the sheep. And when the shepherd comes into the village, it's better than having a bell around your neck because the smell of the sheep permeates long before you arrive and people know, beware. So this again is where the angel goes to announce the birth in the depths of night. And again, we think, we think that this is a throwaway line, that it just happened to be night. But Luke's text is about that this radiance um, is born in darkness. That actually the only place this great radiance can be born is in the depths of darkness. And the only place this radiance can be born is us is in the place of our own shepherd, where we feel so raw and perhaps unworthy, where we feel so much that we've lost uh, our standing and our privilege uh, before society, what, whatever that is. Addictions, illnesses, difficulties in our marriage, what, whatever the raw places in ourselves. This is where we go to look for the new radiance. Awesome. I love it. The, but the radiance, that's where the radiance is. That's where the radiance begins. Be begins in the dark places, in the low places, in the places inside of ourselves that we feel unclean. Yes, that's where it begins. So someone comes to you and says at the end of 2015, the ways I've made a mess of things, the darkness I'm carrying around, the despair, the broken relationships around me, the stresses, the sense that I've more than ever in 2015 wondered what's the point of any of it is. And you say to them, this is where it begins. And you may not believe me and that's okay but I want you to lean on my knowing and to lean on the Christ's knowing. And if you will just act as if right now, the Christ will take it the rest of the way. But this is where it begins. It's so beautiful. It's just I mean, so beautiful. Mary, Mary is this incredible presence of knowing a positive future. And if you know a positive future, then no matter what crud you're going through today, just keep going. This is not the end. This is the beginning. And Luke opens his gospel story about Jesus with this birth story because he knows that his first century audience 
will have, I assume, a thousand reasons why not to listen to him. Oh, seriously, please. Do you realize what sort of hell we're living in? Yes. And unless he starts there with, in your own tradition, is a story of some sort of a radiance being birthed in dark. Yeah. And of new possibilities opened up, yeah. opening up. So he has to start there so that every person who would be like, I'm not listening to you, would be like, oh, that's actually a story I needed to hear. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I just arrived back from Australia, and on Australia right now, it's the height of summer and the, coming upon the longest day of the year. And I arrived at my friend's house here, and that first night, two nights ago, five o'clock, dark, and they turned on the lights of the Christmas tree. And I sat there just, it's been three years since I've had Christmas in the States, and with tears streaming down my eyes because there is something about the Christmas lights in the deep dark. And it's, it's, a, it's a truth of the cosmos. And Christmas is beautiful in Australia, but when it doesn't get dark till 9.30 or 10 o'clock, uh, lights in the dark don't have the same impact. And to me, it's, it's, it's the core Christmas message that the radiance is in the deepest dark. That's where you find it. That's where it's birthed. That's where it begins to shine. And if you're and and so when you live in a culture that does anything it can to to slide on by the darkness, just yeah. keep going, yeah. just turn on a fluorescent light. Whatever you do, don't actually journey into the heart of your own darkness. Right. But if it, you, it doesn't matter whether you have a tree and you have lights, and it doesn't matter whether it's summer or whether it's winter. But the tradition is helping us understand that every one of us carries a deep darkness and do not fear it and it is not evil go there for that will be the place of the new radiance so good thank you again you're welcome so deeply appreciated again. grace and peace everyone merry christmas <laughs>